Uh, welcome to a... I'm driving home from Brooklyn. Boy, did I waste my time being at Barclay Center edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. I, tonight was also Jacob deGrom night. The coronation of Jacob deGrom winning the National League. Sorry about that. I dropped the microphone. I have to figure out a good place to have it because I'm driving home. I'm doing one of those driving home editions. And it's the first time I'm doing it from Barclay Center, which is a little tricky because... There are so many people, there are so many cars, and I'm obviously a very careful driver. But I think I'm good now. I think I'm good now. This was, on so many levels, a colossal waste of time when you think about it. And I think this is the peril of when you decide to go to a sporting event, that if you go, look, if you go every single night, you're going to get some bad ones, you're going to get some good ones. At this point in my life, I don't go to every Nets game. Going to Brooklyn's a little bit of a pain in the ass from where I live in Westchester. So I pick my spots. I still go to a decent amount of games, but I pick my spot. And you can't predict sometimes the crap that you're going to see. And tonight was one of those NBA games in which from the beginning to the middle to the end, they had no shot. It was one of those nights. They had absolutely no freaking shot. Um, Offensively, they were a mess. Early in this game, and this is when you knew things were in trouble, at, at the half, the leading scorers were Rondé Hollis, Jefferson, and Jared Dudley. That's all you freaking need to know. Joe Harris, who gave him a little bit of a spark early, hit an early three, still has that crazy streak going. What is it, 30 straight games where he's hit at least one three. Joe Harris immediately gets into foul trouble. Alan Crabb sucks. I mean, if you thought that maybe Alan Crabb being inserted into the starting lineup because of the Karras injury would somehow get him going... If you thought that, then you're a moron, like myself, because it didn't get him going. You know, he had his moments here and there. I think he hit one three from Bensonhurst. But outside of that, Alan Crabb had his foul trouble. He had five fouls, I think, early in the third quarter, and he sucked. And by the way, and I'm not complaining about the officials because the Nets lost this game on their own, and I don't think the officiating was one-sided by any stretch, but there was no flow to this game. I mean, they were calling everything. At times in the third quarter, every 25 seconds, we'd go to the free throw line, either Miami or Brooklyn, mostly Miami. It was was very difficult to watch. D'Angelo Russell had a real step-back kind of game. He sucked tonight. Honestly, who was any good tonight? What, Jared Dudley because he gave him a little bit of an offensive spark? Rondé Hollis-Jefferson? And again, those two guys, if they're leading you offensively, you've got a problem. Now, You don't want to make excuses, but here is the reality. Reality number one is they need Jared Allen, okay, especially when you're going up against a team with a big like Hassan Whiteside. Uh, They need Jared Allen. They need Jared Allen pick-and-roll offense. They need Jared Allen as a rim protector. They need Jared Allen for freaking energy because this team had very little energy in this game, and they had to settle for a lot of jump shots. It seemed like they settled for a lot of mid-range jump shots as well. So... They miss Jared Allen. I don't know what his illness is. I don't know what the hell's going on with him, but they freaking need him back. Uh, Karis LeVert. Let me address that because obviously the other night, on Monday night in Minnesota, I think we all feared the end of Karis LeVert for this season and questions about how he would ever recover from this if he misses a full year if he was going to miss the first few months of next year. He was making such great progress this year. What happens upon his return? And much like everybody else, I was stunned. I was stunned for the good news. But 
Take a second to think about this. We as Net fans are celebrating the fact that Karis LeVert is going to miss two, three months. I mean, if somebody would have told you Friday night after the Nets beat the Denver Nuggets, that tremendous game, LeVert gets the game winner, here we go, three-game winning streak. If somebody would have told you, so the Nets are going to lose three straight, the Warrior game, fine, but they're going to lose in Minnesota, they're going to lose at home against Miami in a game they're not competitive with, Jared Allen's going to miss two games, and Karis LeVert's going to be out for three months, we would all be on depression as a sports fan watch. I mean, how the hell would we feel if somebody would have told us that Saturday morning when I'm like an idiot, you know, saying, hey, let's do let's do an open for the Saturday show of Levert hitting a game winner in Denver, you know, the Nets are 500, life is good. Who the hell would have thought that we'd come to this? Now, another thing, another thing to keep in mind there were two factors that could lead to such a crappy performance tonight. Number one, this is the first game of this run that they're going to have without LeVert. And I think there is an adjustment. I think there's an adjustment for everybody because over the first bunch of games of this season, guys have sort of settled into their roles. Remember, the Nets had the same starting lineup uh, for a long period of time, which is something we're certainly not used to. Uh, We were kind of seeing the Nets define themselves a little bit. And with LeVert out... You know, everybody in their own way needs to step up. You know, Shabazz Napier is a guy who has to step up because it looked like Napier was actually losing minutes when Damare Carroll came back. So Napier now has a much bigger role again. Spencer Dinwiddie needs to carry a bigger role in this offense, especially late in games. There's a lot of pressure on D'Angelo Russell. There's a lot of pressure on Alan Krebs. So you've got almost everybody in a little way needing to step up with Levert out. And with this being the first game without Karras, you can understand that there's going to be a little awkwardness. The other thing is, and I've always heard this in baseball, you hear it in basketball as well, that first game after a road trip is usually the more difficult one. The problem is this is the NBA. You know, the Nets are going right back on the road. They got to go to Washington to play a wizard team that's kind of been a mess this season. And now all of a sudden you kind of look at that game and you say, boy, they, they better win that game. Because from six and six to six and nine, a back-to-back Saturday night against a good Clipper team, you know your perception of what this start has been starts to change a little bit. Because you look at Miami at home, I certainly look at Miami at home, and I say that's a very winnable basketball game. And this is the second time this season, the nickname of Madison Square Garden being the other, in which you had this winnable game on your schedule, and not only did you lose it, but you got your asses kicked. Now, a couple of questions about this head coach tonight, and it has to do with Radonis Kuric, who we finally saw, and he actually gave this team a little bit of a spark in their ill-fated, no-shot comeback that they tried to make in the fourth quarter of this game. By the way, I got out of there very quickly. I usually park when I go to Barclays Center on, you know, Fifth Avenue or Fourth Avenue. Uh, there are meters. There, there are places to park. The meters go off at 7 o'clock. So think about it. For a 7.30 game, you know, two-hour parking. Not to reveal my parking secrets, but I figure how many people are listening to the Brooklyn Nets podcast? I've noticed that if I talked about the Mets of the Yankees, there'd be many more downloads. I have noticed that. So I figure, hey, to the loyal Nets fan out there, I'll give you the parking secrets to Barclays Center. But sometimes it, it takes a little bit of time before you can get back on the, the highway. I'm probably about... 
I'd say five minutes away from getting on the highway, which is not bad, especially because I want to get home and I want to go to sleep. When you sit through two and a half hours of just garbage, garbage basketball, I mean, you want to get the hell out of there as fast as possible. That's exactly what I'm doing. Within the speed limits, obviously. I'm at a red light right now, so I'm a little bit calmer. Uh, what was I saying? Uh, winnable games, the Knicks, Miami. Oh, Kenny Atkinson. So, Radonis Kurich, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, Ian Eagle tried to teach me. I'm doing my best to learn. At the beginning of the season, was in this rotation and was playing well. Radonis gets hurt. Sucks. Okay, fine. He's now healthy. He cannot break the rotation. We finally saw him a little bit earlier than Musa. Musa we didn't see until there were two minutes to go. The game was clearly over. At least with Radonis, we saw him, I'd say, somewhat early in the fourth quarter. He forced a turnover. He committed a little bit of a spark for this team, or gave this team a little bit of a spark. And I don't understand how he has completely lost a spot in this rotation based on injury. I mean, that, that's when he lost it. The first handful of games of this season, the guy was actually playing. We need to see more of him. We need to find out what he is. And, and the other thing is this. Spencer Dinwiddie, who I love, can you make a freaking free throw tonight? I mean, how many free throws did Spencer Dinwiddie miss? We also saw Kenneth Fareed actually get some playing time, and we quickly saw why he hasn't been getting playing time. He screwed up a couple of bunnies, committed an early foul. But then again, everybody committed a foul. I mean, who the hell didn't commit a foul tonight? Oh, my. Who didn't commit four fouls tonight? It was just bad. It was just bad, bad basketball. And I I don't want to over-exaggerate uh, where we are right now because I think where we're going to learn about this basketball team is over the next few weeks, not the first game without Karis LeVert. But I am relieved that we will hopefully see Karis LeVert at some point. I'm hopeful we'll see Jared Allen at some point. It's not like the Nets are going to tell us what the hell he's ill with. I mean, I hope the kid's okay, but they miss him. They miss Jared Allen. We certainly saw that in the, um, please let me in. Okay, thank you. I tell you, most people do not want to let you in. When you really do the math on it, and I'm talking about lanes when you're merging onto a highway, ask yourself this the next time you don't let somebody into a lane. What time are you saving by not letting them in? Like, if you don't let them in, are you saving yourself seven seconds, something like that in life? I mean, think about it. Do the freaking math on what you're gaining by being a douchebag. You're gaining nothing. You're gaining 12 seconds in your life. Great, you're going to get to go home 12 seconds earlier because you were a douche on the highway and didn't want to let somebody in. You know what, I once did this on a road trip where I did the math, all right? This is what happens when you got a lot of time to think. I said to myself, if the speed limit is 70, because in a lot of states the speed limit's 70, and you're going 85 as compared to 80, how much time are you really saving yourself? And you know what's sad? If you do the math, you're saving yourself minutes. And that's all you, so you're risking not only, you know, potentially a, a car accident, but you're risking a ticket, a very expensive speeding ticket, over minutes. See, I think if they taught that math equation in driver's ed, or they, they ran commercials kind of saying, you're going 80, what do you gain by? I think that'd make a difference, because when you really do the math, it's like analytics in sports, right? 
Analytics and scores has changed so much. This is why we see more threes in the NBA, the death of the mid-range jump shot, all that crap. If you did the analytics on speeding and the analytics on being a douchebag, not letting somebody in your lane, the analytics tell you you're doing nothing for yourself other than adding negativity to the world. That's all you're doing. Now, I want to end with some positivity. And the positivity I want to give or end with is Jacob DeGrom winning the Cy Young. Uh, this is something I don't think anybody is surprised about. But I think it was a culmination in what was a real historical season and really one of the few bright spots from this Met team. The utter dominance of Jacob DeGrom. And, and sometimes watching him and watching how his teammates would screw it up for him. I mentioned many times throughout the year, it felt like his teammates hated him with the way they played around him, not only offensively, defensively, the bullpen blowing games. Remember early in the season that game against the Nationals? I think the Mets were 12-2 and two at the time. So it was tough to get two nuts, even though I did get two nuts. When Jake leaves with, what was it, 6-1, to 6-2 to two lead, and the Met bullpen blows it. Who knew that that game would not only be a sign of the Met season, but it would be a sign of Jake's season. But he really had, when you think about it, a historical, utterly dominant season. And a point that Joe has made, which I think is so true, Joe has said it almost enhanced DeGrom that he only won 10 games. And in a lot of ways, I think this is why, even for the non-Met fan, this season is going to be remembered more than your run-of-the-mill Cy Young dominant season. It's because this was the year where the win died. You know, you could tell me Felix Hernandez a couple of years ago, or you can tell me, well, come on, Evan, the win's been dying for a long time. Yes, it's been dying. I think Jacob DeGrom officially killed the win. That's been Brian Kenny's fantasy for the last how many years? Kill the win, kill the win, kill the win. I think a combination of Jacob DeGrom's dominance and the Mets' ineptitude killed the win. Now, as far as, and I haven't seen a lot of people bitching about this, but I'm going preemptive. Let's not complain about the one guy that didn't vote for Jacob DeGrom. I mean, seriously, 29 out of 30 is a dominant victory. It was a dominant, dominant, no doubt about it victory for Jake in winning this Cy Young. And if some, you know, old beat writer in San Diego wants to vote against Jake and wants to, you know, give the nod to Max Scherzer, who cares? It really doesn't matter. I said this uh, to Ernie Acosta, our producer. I texted him about this. I said, look, Jake could have won the award by one vote. I wouldn't have cared. This was not about how much is he going to win by. I think what he won by is certainly a message and clearly helps kill the win. Because I think if Jake wins barely, maybe I'm sitting here today saying he didn't really officially kill the win. Uh, it's more the win is on life support, if you will. But the fact that he did go 29 out of 30 probably enhanced the whole win doesn't matter belief, which I got to tell you, I always thought, you know, when my dad was teaching me baseball as a kid, I, I remember I would ask him a million questions. And one of the questions I would always have is say, you know, why are we basing a win as something that's so important when you're being relied, you're relying on your offense, you're relying on your bullpen it really isn't an indicator on the kind of season you're having. And I remember the the example that jumped out at me was Anthony Young and Jack McDowell. Now, I'm not saying their ERAs were the same, 
but they weren't that far off, and yet Jack McDowell's winning the Cy Young, and Anthony Young's got this historic losing streak. So I always thought that as a kid, and I'm glad that as we sit here in 2018, a season like Jake's is not going to be ruined based on that. And how about the Mets not wasting any time? I mean, Jacob DeGrom, Cy Young bobblehead. It's already been... It's already been created, it looks like. I mean, they sent an email out to season ticket holders and probably anybody that's ever bought a Met ticket in the last 10 years with this image of Jacob DeGrom holding the Cy Young as a bobblehead. The Mets did not waste any time. And now what Brody Van Wagenen should do is not waste any time and freaking sign the guy and make sure he goes absolutely nowhere. Oh, and how about the fact that when they're announcing Jake wins the award, the dude, I forget his name, takes a shot at the Mets and says, the writers showed more support for Jacob DeGrom than his teammates. You gotta love that. You gotta freaking love it. Anyhow, congratulations to DeGrom. I am disappointed about one other thing. If you've listened to the Midday Show, you know I have been a Jacob DeGrom fanboy basically since the beginning. I have argued with my fellow Met fan about who the ace of this team was all the way back since 2014. Is it Matt Harvey? I always thought it was DeGrom. Is it Noah Syndergaard? I thought it was DeGrom. So I take a lot of pride in Jake clearly being the ace of this team. So now that we got the Mets back, I have made efforts over the last month and a half, even longer than that, to get Jacob DeGrom on the air. And I failed (laughs) because... All my efforts went for not because he's going to be on with Mike. And you know what that just reminds me? Know your place, kid. So I tried, and I failed, and I now know my place. Anyhow, thank you for listening to this edition. I am now, by the way, going over the Kashiashko Bridge, if that's how you pronounce it. It looks very pretty. It's lit up in blue tonight. Uh, thank you for listening to this edition of the Brooklyn Nets Suck slash Jacob DeGrom won the Cy Young podcast. I will be doing another one Sunday night right after Survivor Series. I'll give you an instant reaction to all that. There's a lot to digest from pro wrestling. Oh, my God. From the Becky Lynch thing to AJ Styles losing the WWE Championship to Daniel Bryan turning heel. So that Survivor Series post-podcast may, um, they may go for a couple of hours. I warn you now. So check that out probably a little bit after the conclusion of the Survivor Series pay-per-view. Thanks again for listening. And again, Joe and I, 10 a.m., Monday through Friday, later.